0: Hey, how's it going? Thank you for, for joining to listen to this podcast today, this interview I did with Dr. Alice Lee, who's a holistic psychiatrist who primarily helps people who are on psychiatric medications get off them. And she still is a licensed psychiatrist, so she can prescribe the step-down doses in order for people to, to get off medications if they feel like it's time to stop taking psychiatric medication and full disclosure I met her when I was in the withdrawal phase from Adderall. I was about eight months into my withdrawal and I was feeling pretty good and I went to Dr. Lee to get some support um, and strategies and learn and better myself and that was nearly ten years ago. Flash forward I write a book about ADD medications and getting off them And Dr. Alice Lee writes the foreword. And I'm really happy to give her the opportunity to speak to as many people as she can reach. I think she has a really great story. Um, I was really curious about hearing her own experience with Zoloft and how that affected her, how Zoloft affected her, and how getting off Zoloft affected her, and how being in the role of patient helped her become a better doctor, a better practitioner, a better healer because she understood what her patients were going through because she had been through it too. So um, stick around, enjoy the talk. If you like this kind of thing, subscribe, like, and participate in any way you can. And I hope you benefit from it and enjoy it. Beautiful. All right. So thank you, of course, Dr. Lee for speaking with me. If you could give a brief background as who you are and Yeah, sure.
1: Um, So I'm a child, adolescent, and adult psychiatrist. Uh, I was trained at the University of Maryland for my adult psychiatry portion and um, did that for about four years, and then went on and I got trained in child and adolescent psychiatry at Children's National Medical Center in Washington, D.C., for another two full years. And then afterwards, I did about eight years of regular psychiatry where I integrated psychotherapy along with medication management. and helped a lot of people, both in the private sector as well as um, in the public, you know, uh, area. I was working at the University of Maryland College campus for a while, and then um, after about eight years of uh, more of a conventional psychiatric approach, um, I started in 2002 to integrate uh, what turned out to be functional medicine. Functional medicine is the use of nutritional Um, supports and working with diet to help people. And then in 2003, uh, my practice evolved again to integrate what most people now call energy medicine. And energy medicine is the ability to understand how energy and information can be um, shifted and changed uh, through your mind to facilitate healing as well. So once I uh, started integrating both energy medicine and functional medicine, um, very early in my holistic you know, path, um, uh, what happened was my goal was to help people to integrate these tools in their lives so that they can actually get off their psychiatric medications and then hopefully uh, not have to see me anymore and just be free to do their thing and maximize their creative potential. And with that goal in mind, I think it's been really, really fulfilling for me, uh, along with you know, all of the other areas in my life that I felt has been evolving along with, you know, that journey, that medical uh, treatment paradigm shift for me is just part of my life. But, you know, the other aspects that had been shifting along with that has been really fulfilling as well. So now it's been 20 years uh, of holistic medicine. And uh, it's been really great because uh, now uh, my approach with an integration of psychiatry, functional medicine, And energy medicine has integrated into a very mature approach. And I'm starting to teach other clinicians what it is that I do to help them learn to also do what it is that I do.
0: So, Thank you. Yeah. And I I already know, and you've told me that this happened because you yourself were prescribed Zoloft. Mm -hmm. And would you say that that experience is what triggered sort of your own healing and then your ability to heal? Others, do you think you would have gone holistic had you not experienced Zoloft? Uh, well, I was
1: put on Zoloft um, during the beginning of my junior year in my adult psychiatry residency. And uh, the uh, training psychiatrist who was, you know, meeting with me once a week at the time was um, using that to to address uh, my disappointment with psychiatry, actually, at that time. So was
0: it like because... an authoritative move? Was this your superior was prescribing you medication?
1: Yeah. He was a training psychiatrist and I was mm-hmm. seeing him for both therapy as well as, you know, understanding more about my own internal, um, I guess having my own internal insights about my life so I can be a better psychiatrist. And as I was, as I was sharing with him, you know, he was basically, uh, serving the role of a therapist for me, um. As I was telling him that I wanted to quit psychiatry and that life wasn't worth living as a psychiatrist because I didn't like psychiatry. Um,
0: what what did you like at that time?
1: Well, um, I was uh, well. Most of the training psychiatrists were spending all their time on the inpatient units with chronically mentally ill um, at the VA right. hospitals, and I found it very depressing and. Um, there was something about just the way there was such a a hopelessness about it. And people weren't really getting better, obviously, and people were coming in and out of the hospitals. And a lot of it was uh, insurance driven. So I saw patients leave that weren't ready to leave because the insurance wouldn't pay for their treatment. Um, All of it kind of made me feel um, like I made the wrong choice in going into psychiatry. Uh, I, I wanted to go into psychiatry to really understand people and be able to help people and, you know, to have a positive, fulfilling experience and not be, I guess, shocked by by the the reality of what psychiatry really was. And so when I when I was seriously looking into um, going back into my uh, initial interest in literature and creative writing, um, I was interviewing... Uh, you know, like, um, chairman of the English department at Hopkins, who was very close to my training center and, you know, asking about their program and uh, talking with, um, other people about, you know, shifting my career. He, um, suggested I take Zoloft instead because he felt like I was depressed. I know it sounds a little bit weird right now, but I was very depressed. I, no, I did I, not. I believe it. I think it's, <laughs>
0: it's, it's like you either, um, get into literature or take these drugs, those two.
1: Yeah. And there was a lot of, you know, he, I, of course I didn't want to take Zoloft, but there was a lot of, you know, like um, comments from this um, clinician who up until then was taking a psychodynamic approach with our sessions where he literally just said, you know, like maybe once or twice during the entire session and had no expressions on his face. But when it came to you know, me leaving psychiatry, he started speaking to me Mm -hmm. about how I should take this medication. So I did take the medication based upon his recommendation. And to my surprise, uh, within about a week, a lot of the desire to quit psychiatry, the angst, the depression, it just kind of went away. And um, I just felt better. And I was Mm -hmm. able to, you know, just be okay with my lot in life.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm so curious about how it feels uh-huh. because like I've taken, you know, so many Adderalls mm-hmm. and I know so like it feel and I know Adderall was the original antidepressant, you know, amphetamine was the first mm-hmm. antidepressant and it felt good. And <laughs> okay. you know what I mean? Like it it, uh-huh. it just fills you with happy hormones, confidence mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I'm very curious, you know, cuz when you take like Adderall and you mm-hmm. go to college, people want some. You know, everybody, mm-hmm. can I have one? It's desirable. Mm-hmm. But I've never heard of anyone saying, can I have a Zoloft? It looks like fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really curious. How How would you describe how it feels? Um, it didn't feel
1: anything. I, I just felt like um, um within about a week, I noticed that I wasn't um, wanting to run and escape from psychiatry anymore. I was kind of like, Able to be more stress resilient, and I was um, able to take uh, my situation, and it didn't bother me anymore.
0: So, do you think so? Like biomechanically, I'm Mm -hmm. sure you might be versed on that. Like, how does Mm -hmm. it do that? What's going Um,
1: on? Well, we know that the SSRIs um, allow the serotonin that you make in your body to work for a little bit longer before it gets. Um, recycled back into the original nerve cell that released it. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think that since ninety-five percent of our serotonin receptors are in the gut, uh, the gut-brain connection is what's being facilitated. And probably at a nutritional level, the GI system is working better. So, I had um, my GI system was working better. I was absorbing nutrients. More easily, I was probably sleeping better. I just don't even remember. But um, at the time that I wanted to leave psychiatry, it was about a year after I gave birth to my daughter, and I was very sleep deprived because right. I was up at night with my daughter. You know, for several months during that period of time, and um, there were, you know, of course, still call on um, being on call where you're sleep deprived. So serotonin gets converted to melatonin in the brain. And so it allows sleep to happen much more easily. So between, you know, maybe getting better sleep, having more nutrients being absorbed in my body, um, I think I just developed, developed more stress resilience. So I didn't have the stress response at the level where, you know, the adrenaline kicks in. And when adrenaline kicks in, it just gives you the message of the fight or flight. So for me, I responded to that message by trying to run away from psychiatry. And go to a less stressful environment. Um, and the main stress was obviously um psychiatry. Uh, obviously, being a young mom is also stressful, but you don't just, you know, run away from that. So yeah. so anyways, um, yeah, so that that I think that's what happened. But there's no like sudden shift with Zoloft, although yeah. i I, w- I will tell you that uh, within about two weeks, I, I felt better after a few days. And so within two weeks, I said, well, and I've been feeling great for about two weeks, I think I'm healed from this problem. So I'm going to stop it. And at and that time, um, I was on 25 milligrams of Zoloft, which is half of a usual typical starting dose, it was a very low dose. And so I stopped it after two weeks. And um, I noticed um, that I was getting a, a very strange sensation in my head. So it wasn't like I was getting depressed or having immediate like the return of the angst or anything. But I noticed that in my head, I was um, experiencing a zapping effect. It was as if I could hear my head go. Sp-
0: like like, so, like there was a loose wire in your brain or something? Exactly. exactly. Was it an auditory hallucination?
1: No, I think it really was like electrically, that was something was short circuiting or something.
0: Mm-hmm. And this
1: is a very, actually a very common uh, withdrawal side effect from SSRIs. I was getting it within two weeks of taking that medication and, um, when I shared that observation with the training psychiatrist, he said, well, that doesn't sound good. You, you may need to go back on that medication. So he didn't recognize it as a withdrawal side effect. And he just recommended that I go back on the 25 milligrams. And I did, and they just kind of left me on that medication and never changed it. I was on 25 milligrams of, of Zoloft, um, until, um, five years later in 1996, is when I tried to get off of that medication. So within 2 weeks I was having withdrawals and yeah. at 5 years when I tried to get off of the Zoloft I thought, you know, I've been well for the last 5 years. I think I should be able to stop it. It's half a starting dose. I'm going to just stop it. And um so I did and and I had really horrible withdrawal side effects at that point.
0: What were those withdrawal side effects?
1: Um so uh I so with I, I went on and off, on and off, and finally I discovered, I realized they were withdrawal side effects, but um, yeah, the withdrawal side effects were, like yeah, I much. thought it was my depression. I thought Yeah, it was and like had the same thing coming. with
0: that. I'm like, is this my ADHD? It's like, no, it's yeah. an amphetamine withdrawal, but they're kind of a blurred line here.
1: I think that um, with the SSRIs, the way I work as a holistic psychiatrist is I, I think of it as withdrawal side effects, but also... Um, I think that the unaddressed issues are still there. Yes. So whatever underlying causes that made me need the medication hasn't actually gone away mm. particular in particular. Uh, anyways, I think it's a combination of those two factors, but when I try to get off the uh, Zoloft 25 milligrams, uh, about five years into it. Now, this was after my second child was born and during my... Second pregnancy, um, I was on Zoloft. I was on the 25 milligrams of Zoloft. And um, that's safe. I don't think it was my, uh, desire to be on it, but nobody, mm-hmm. yeah. But the, uh, ob- the OBGYNs, um, they said it was fine. Um, they didn't think there was any problems with it, but you know, conventional yeah. doctors are always very
0: encouraging, uh, you know, of, that. encouraging
1: yeah. <laughs> of people being on their meds. But anyways, when I tried to get off after, um, after that, um, I did notice, um, all sorts of, um, issues, but the most, um, blatant, obvious problem, uh, that I had was incredible crushing, uh, depression, crushing depression. Like this was unlike any kind of yeah, depression it, I experienced when I got on the Zoloft.
0: What? Yeah. It was
1: to me, it was like a near death experience.
0: <laughs> you know, and I, and yeah. I know, <laughs> I mean, I think I had a similar uh-huh. experience with Adderall, but I think with uh-huh. Zoloft from everything I've seen in read, it's, it's worse. It's harder.
1: Yeah. I, I was, um, angry i was depressed i didn't have energy i was suicidal like i think the only thing that kept me from being suicidal was um i was too caring about other people and what how other people would suffer like if i were to kill myself but literally like i had no no glimmer of joy in my body at all and so um Mm. and and i did do my work as a psychiatrist i was always able to put aside myself so I could like focus on other people and do my work. But um, I just had no, I had no joy at all. And I had no capacity to feel any kind of happiness when I stopped it. And so I would get back on it. And when I finally realized after maybe my third or fourth on off uh, trial, when I realized that I had to do something to help myself get off this uh, medication, because I was my body and mind was physically uh, dependent on it. I used uh, ginkgo biloba and St. John's wort at that point as herbals because that I, I just Googled what what are like ho- holistic yeah. you know things to do at this point. So I, I put myself on ginkgo biloba and St. John's wort, and it really did help. Um, I was able to get off the Zoloft, but um, I was only about eighty percent of my you know usual happy self. So I was pretty kind of normal um, on the Zoloft, but off the Zoloft, I was about 80% um, of my kind of optimistic, stress-resilient self, even with the ginkgo biloba and St. John's wort. But I just refused to get back on that um, Zoloft. I was like, never in a million years will I ever get back on a drug that would cause that level of withdrawal for me. Mm. Yeah.
0: Totally relate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well congratulations it's, well it's rough then, yeah, how long but... how long of a period was it with that painful crushing depression sensation after getting off it
1: well i i was able to resolve it with a ginkgo biloba and st john's wort um but you know i would try to stick with it for you know a few months you know
0: of and you that depression
1: get... i would get back on it because it wasn't relenting it wasn't getting better and it wasn't it it was kind of like i I would just say that I experienced such intense, uh, like emotional, I think even the aggression was uh, so intense. That was really, really crazy thinking back on it. One time uh, I remember uh, this was off the Zoloft after a few weeks, I was so frustrated with life and just, and I had this, you know, kind of intense, I guess, anger that wasn't me. And I remember I had to have a place where I could like, let it out. So I was in, I was living in an apartment at the time and my car was parked in the public parking space, you know, it was out in the open. So I said, okay, I'm going to just let it out in the car. Right. So I had the windows whirled up and I just yelled as loud as I could like this wow. really like, like swear word. Okay. Cause I never <laughs> swear they have their I just, yeah. swore, just swore really loud. Very and good. then, um, and then I backed up. And I was turning around and I saw two guys who had been on the sidewalk walking down the street. And my parking lot, you know, was next to the sidewalk. And I had screamed so loud. They thought it was directed to them. One of the guys uh, was holding one of the other guys back from trying to, like, accost me (laughs) because they thought that I was swearing at them. And I was like, I just drove by and just, like, really fast.
0: And I'm sure from you, they were like is going on now? yeah i know like she's
1: must be crazy <laughs> she just yelled and screamed this swear word and and i guess my windows didn't keep the sound down because um they obviously heard it all the way to the sidewalk and they thought yeah. it was directed towards them and well, it's better uh, out than yeah.
0: in with that i suppose
1: yeah but i i think for uh if it if it had happened to some young man or something and who had a gun or something you know then you have a really bad mix where you <laughs> have it. someone who's really <laughs> withdrawing from a drug and then they yeah. have some well, I mean, guns with, available at home, and with they Zoloft, feel like yeah. Um,
0: mm-hmm. That's there's there's a lot of stories like that.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, mean, I don't Colum- know the Columbine yeah. shooter. Uh huh. And I, tell I mean, me about uh, that.
0: Well, I, I know about it personally because when I was fourteen, my next to next door neighbor was an eleven year old girl who was put on Zoloft and taking off of it after two weeks or mm-hmm. a month or so, like you said, mm-hmm. and she took her own life in the withdrawal promptly oh, and wow. this is an 11 11 year old girl wow. and her parents directly correlated it to the medication and to their their psychiatrist told her to just stop yeah. and not taper off mm-hmm. and they ended up as a family going to the supreme court mm-hmm. taking you know devoting so much energy in her honor to preventing it from happening ever again to anyone else mm-hmm. and um they did one time i remember hanging out with some of the victims of the Columbine shooting because they were staying at their house and they were over and talking and mm-hmm. they were working with victims from the Columbine shooting because they associated that um, with the medication. Those those kids were on Zoloft.
1: I see. I see. And they, were they on it when that happened or were they taken off of it when it happened?
0: I'm not sure the specifics, but okay. they, were, they were connecting it to it. And I think at that point, as a parent, they were probably just associating that medication with every bad thing in the world. Okay. If it takes your child.
1: Yeah, I think that it what I noticed was that um, someone like me whose whole life is devoted on serving others and helping other people for me to get so angry on my withdrawals during my withdrawals told me that that level of rage that can happen is very dangerous in terms of, you know, like in in other people, like I could have, you know, like, use that rage and turn it on myself, you know, because I, yeah. I did feel very, very suicidal. Yeah. And, um and also that aggression where I just had to vent it out and scream. Um,
0: yeah, that's someone who's already at another level to the, the other. Yeah, 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 and, exactly. And I mean, I know for me, when, when I was withdrawing on Adderall, like I would have a suicidal thought would be almost like a, like an ad, you know, in my brain, mm. you know, normal programming, and then it's like this horrible thought of, treating yourself the worst way possible mm-hmm. and I would say oh yeah I'm withdrawing on amphetamines that's what that is mm. and I'm curious if you had a strategy to cope with those because it's like an invasion that's mm. how I, I looked at it and I'm curious I I know these are yeah, different yeah yeah drugs
1: um I was so brainwashed I must say <laughs> it didn't occur <laughs> to me that this drug had caused uh, these symptoms when I stopped it until um my last attempt, my last attempt to come off of it. I had, you know, I would take, come off of it and then get back on it. And I come off of it and get back on it. And each of those times would be several months. And, yeah, and, and, I... Uh, and I just never really, because I was brainwashed into thinking that these drugs are really helpful for me. Um, and so I, I kept thinking this must be my depression, but when I would get back on it, it would just kind of miraculously vanish again, you know, like pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So it had a withdrawal kind of effect. The last time that that happened to me, and it went away, and I realized that some component of it was due to withdrawal. That's when my anger was directed towards a medication for the first time.
0: Mm, instead of yourself.
1: Because yes, up until then, I was a devotee of the drug approach because I was a psychiatrist who prescribed drugs. So, um, I was brainwashed to thinking that what I was doing was the best, um, intervention for my, in my patients. And so when I realized that this withdrawal could be so severe and it was withdrawal, um, or at least a big portion of it, um, then I got angry. Uh, now the reason why I got angry was because I felt like I had been an innocent victim of a process that, uh, wasn't, was not, I was not informed that this would happen, you know? And I was like, um, how in the world could medical, uh, the medical profession prescribe something and not know about withdrawal side effects like this, like this severe. And if I, Mm -hmm. if I was just on 25 milligrams and this happened, imagine people who are on 50 or 100 or 150 or right. 200 for that yeah. matter. Yeah,
0: it probably goes So, down.
1: And I was the kind of person that at that point, uh, and still to this day, I, I never smoked, I never drank coffee, never drank alcohol. I was the farthest person who would ever want to um, use any chemical to, you know, you know, like I would never want to be dependent on anything like a drug. Yeah. So, so I said to myself, you know, obviously um, I'm not going back on this medication. I have to find some way out. Started taking the ginkgo biloba and St. John's wort, which helped. I would say it wasn't until 2002 when I started um, using nutritional supplements to help my patients who had bipolar disorder that I started taking a multivitamin as a regular kind of like thing um, to see if it would help my mental health. And the 80% went to a hundred percent like pretty quickly. I was pretty nutritionally, um, like, deprived, I guess. And so I needed those vitamins for my own, you know, mental health. And um, so the question was, like, what shifted? I, I just, once I realized that it was withdrawal, I devoted my, I just shifted my whole, like, purpose um, as a psychiatrist I I wanted myself never to take that medication I wanted to figure out a way to help my patients to be able to handle withdrawals and um, obviously during the um, the whole process of being on the medication and experiencing withdrawal um, I realized what it felt like to be the patient and before then um, I still felt like, you know, I was doing everybody a favor when I put them on these medications, mm-hmm. and then once I realized that these medications are hard to get off of, which I it never occurred to me before. I thought, well, put on put them on the medication, and then eventually they just come off once they're well. Um, but once I realized that that's not what happens with these med uh, with these medications, then and and that nobody really knew about it, um, I I had to do something about it. So at the time, of course, it was in 2000. Um, so 1996 was when I got myself off
0: um, slowly. That's when I started taking amphetamines that year. Oh, yeah? When I was seven, and, yeah.
1: Wow. And uh, so once I get off around the 1990s, uh, it, it was another like five years, if I remember right, before I learned about functional medicine, and and then six years before I learned about energy medicine. But once I had, once I started learning more about functional Functional uh, medicine and energy medicine. Then I had the tools to kind of like do something about it. But before then, even though I was off the medication, was still, you know, like using medication to help my patients, and you know, Mm -hmm. maybe integrating a little bit of ginkgo biloba or St. John's wort. But I had no tools, no information to really do anything about my mind, my shift. You know,
0: the the shift
1: in my desire to help other patients. So
0: I might turn my light on really quick. Okay. Okay. Much better. Okay. I think so. Yeah. So you are still prescribing medications but you're starting to do like dabble in energy and and functional medicine and herbs and what I think was really interesting is when you were talking about the Zoloft you were saying that part of its function which I never heard was the healing the gut.
1: Yeah, because so- the serotonin system is mostly found in the gut.
0: So when someone takes Zoloft it's actually good for digestion, is that? Yeah.
1: And when you withdraw from it it's horrible for digestion and absorption. Really? So yeah.
0: you like,
1: or at least my
0: energy testing indicates that, okay, because then I'm what, and then so that would make someone maybe infer that to cure depression, you take some probiotics, or like like that is depression a gut problem?
1: Well, you know, nowadays the probiotic um the probiotic area has really made advances. And there's a lot of new probiotics now that are supposed to help for, with depression.
0: So if you're feeling sad, like eat a pickle. Sorry. I don't know if a pickle has the right. It, yeah, it I don't know level. if
1: I will have the right probiotics. But yeah, there are probiotics that are supposed to really help with depression and also mm-hmm. help with the mind gut kind of like communication and things like that. So I do use those probiotics for my patients.
0: And mm-hmm. and in, in your situation, uh, too, it was possible. it was the, that's the thing I always think about, too, with depression as a diagnosis mm-hmm. is like what I would it's either you change your internal chemistry or you change your exterior environment, which seemed like you were in a place you didn't want to be in. Mm-hmm. So the option was change that place or change yourself.
1: Yeah. I I don't know if in the divine scheme of things, whether it was a good thing for me to leave psychiatry, even though no, it, it would have been because... a lot easier. You know what I mean? Well, like you're, I you're, still... you're the
0: wounded healer at that point <laughs> in the archetypical, maybe. Yeah. I will say
1: there. that at this point and, um, you know, when I started uh, in medicine, well, what's it? 1989 was when I went into adult psychiatry. So it's been a lot of years since you know I've I've gone into medicine. I would say um, at this point in 2023, soon to be 2024, I I am very uh, fulfilled in terms of my profession. I'm still working on that part of me that has always wanted to be more of a writer artist, uh, person, mm-hmm. but, um, I would say that I'm, I'm okay with the fact that I'm in medicine. It's, yeah. it's not like for a long time though, you know, I, I felt like medicine wasn't a good fit for me and no matter how good I was at doing what it, whatever it was, I ended up doing with my patients. Um, I felt like it was more for them, but it wasn't for me. But now I see that overall it's going to come full circle where the healer who is hoping to heal other people will eventually heal themselves, you know.
0: Wow. Yeah. Thank you. It all it all comes full circle. Yeah. Yeah. And when you just I'm um, just one more question about Zoloft I'm curious even though mm-hmm. we're circling back just mm-hmm. because I have I have like made up thoughts about it and I don't know how accurate they are so I okay. wanted fact checked my thoughts mm-hmm. talking to people and who've experienced it because I'm just mm-hmm. fascinated with medication and mm-hmm. and the interaction medications have with minds not just bodies Mm -hmm. and but that that antidepressants someone has said like you're you know here would be on one end of a spectrum extreme sadness and here is extreme happiness and somebody might be experiencing that extreme sadness so it, it, it narrows the spectrum entirely so while protecting you from that extreme sadness does it also prevent you from true joy you know does it does it dull the emotional sword is my question
1: i think that a lot of people would say yes to that um, because I was on a very low dose of Zoloft, I did not notice that it dulled my sense of happiness. Um, but I think that I wasn't quite so insightful at the time. I wasn't really paying attention, really. But I do think that a lot of the medications that we uh, as psychiatrists use are dulling medications. They're tranquilizers. They're numbers. They they help people to um, not think about the painful, you know, issues at hand. Um, And it buys them some time to, you know, like find some other interventions, like a holistic intervention that might do the underlying healing so that they can overcome whatever it is that is extraordinarily painful for them that they can't handle. Is Um, that their
0: purpose in society or?
1: Yeah, but I I think in general, though, um, it's ironic. I was thinking that psychiatrists who are in this profession to help people gain insight and help them to really be more alive with their emotions are stuck with medications that actually numb people to their emotions. Mm. Like we're kind of like psychiatrists now are kind of like relegated to a corner of psychopharmacology where they're using tools that basically numb people from their feelings. That's what a lot of patients tell me um, because I'm able to help them get off their medications. They will say um, after their healing journey that they're so happy that they can laugh and cry and react with their proper emotions on, on board. Whereas before, they um, sure, the medications were helpful in terms of mitigating their pain, but it also made it so that they couldn't cry at the movies, you know? Yeah. They just couldn't have any normal reaction. They couldn't be really happy because then the medication put a ceiling on that. So absolutely, it just limits your ability to, you know, really experience the fullness of what what it means to be human.
0: Right. And and I mean, that's one what you were saying reminds me of uh, that I was making up that I think is accurate because I get mm-hmm. in arguments on the Internet with people mm-hmm. when they see what I've done. And something people will say is these medications saved my life. And then I think about being on a ship and that mm-hmm. if you fall off the ship, the lifesaver, you get thrown mm-hmm. out the raft and then it saves your life. Mm-hmm. But then when you get back, you, you get out. <laughs> you get or you get back on the shore, and that's the way I think. It's like I think they are lifesaving in that capability, where if you're risk of drowning, they can save you. But the thing I'm unsure about is is long term, and yeah. that none of these psychiatrists ever present a real exit plan. They just say, yeah, just no. take this, come back every two months, we'll take your blood pressure for eternity.
1: Yeah, and I think that we have to take into account the um, financial aspects of how. Medicine is built, um, so there's really no financial incentive, you know, um, in,
0: healthy people. In,
1: in, in people who don't need to buy your medication, right? Yeah. So these, these um, pharmaceutical companies spend millions and millions of dollars to do the research to create the medication, but they're not going to spend millions and millions and millions of dollars to do research to know how to help you get off their medication because they want you to keep, you know, investing in their product. Um, but I will say a very general, um, comment that I'm sure pharmaceutical companies won't like, and maybe a lot of people who are happy with their meds won't like, and that is every medication has been, um, patented uh, so that the pharmaceutical company can sell it uh, as a unique molecule. And because they are patented and they are unique molecules, they're not recognized by our bodies as, um, you know, natural substances, they're not like food. So our bodies will react to these medications as a xenobiotic, a foreign substance. And the natural reaction to a xenobiotic is that it stimulates the, the immune system to create an inflammatory reaction against it, any medication, and that inflammatory reaction will become stronger and stronger over time. And since the underlying causes for mental health, uh, oftentimes is inflammation, and oxidative stress caused by the inflammation. So ultimately, all of these medications have kind of like a ticking clock to them. So that at some point, the inflammation caused by these foreign substances that the person takes every day will be so high that the benefits uh, will be less than the inflammatory reaction it creates. And so at that point, the person will say, the medication has stopped working for me. Mm-hmm. And it's not because the chemical process has changed in any way. It's because their body no longer can tolerate that medication Wow! because it's creating an immune reaction to it, an inflammatory reaction, just like you would do to any foreign substance that you introduce to your body every day that is foreign. Like if you were to eat a certain amount of dust every day, you know, <laughs> at some point, your body's going to yeah. have a high with, reaction with something... to dust.
0: That is what you're saying that something that comes from the earth, for example, like coffee, that that mm-hmm. won't happen because coffee is a plant? Or is that, is that still, does my body receive the caffeine molecule and also create an inflammation response?
1: There's a way in which the body uh, addresses um, the foods that we take or herbs that we take. Um, it has to digest it. It has to metabolize it. So I, I can't speak specifically about coffee. But I do know that even foods that you eat, if you don't digest it properly and metabolize it properly, and it crosses the um, lining of the gut in which it's still kind of seen Undigested. as a foreign substance, yeah, yeah like partially digested, uh, the immune system will become hypersensitized to that as well. So yes, I think you can get hypersensitized to something you take every day, even if it's a plant. Uh, if it crosses the blood, uh, if it crosses the gut, um, partially uh, metabolized and digested, the immune system will think of it as a foreign substance, develop an immune reaction. And that's how people with, quote, leaky gut syndrome develop food sensitivities, because about 80% of our immune system actually lines the gut.
0: That's a lot. So,
1: yeah, that's a lot of it. Yeah.
0: Wow. I'd like to learn more about that. Another thing that you were talking and this is random, but I'm wondering if it was an inflammation response or something like that, that when I took the medication, you know, from being a teenager onward, I had really bad body odor and Mm -hmm. I did not. And and, um, my sweat would actually stain my shirts Mm -hmm. and that didn't happen, you know, where yellow pit stains. And is that is that my body fighting, pushing it out? I mean, that's and the then theory. after
1: you stopped it, you didn't have it anymore?
0: No, and I I still sweat, but it wouldn't I wouldn't have like that rust color on my shirt. And it might have been some food I was eating at the time or something, but
1: Interesting. Now that I think about it, um that happened to me too. Really? On Zoloft? Yeah. You had Um I de- definitely had uh darker stains under my armpits, yeah, on my shirts. Yeah. That's it doesn't sweet. happen now anymore. I think yeah. the skin the skin is like one of the One, the top or the second to the top Um, detox organs. It's one of the largest organs in the body and its purpose, part of the main purpose is detoxification. So if it's coming, you know, if it's usually coming out through your sweat, you know, some way of detoxification. So I'm pretty sure that um, part of the detoxification process with these chemicals are being handled by the skin.
0: That's pretty interesting.
1: Yeah. Good observation though.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it's interesting, too, mm-hmm. just like back to the prescription, these medications that at, mm-hmm. when I was withdrawing, I wanted to get back on. And I went to a psychiatrist and she talked to me for 15 minutes mm-hmm. and um, she remarked that I'd been cutting myself. And the truth was I had just adopted a kitten and oh. the cat had scratched me up. Okay. And I said, oh, no, I'm not doing that. That's a cat. Mm-hmm. And she said, uh-huh. And I said, no, really. I, <laughs> and I pulled out my phone. I showed her pictures of the brand new kitten. And I said, I don't hurt myself, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. and she gave me a prescription for Wellbutrin. Okay. And I remember saying, "Hey, that's an antidepressant, and I'm not struggling with depression. I have mm-hmm. an attentive and focus." Mm-hmm. And she said to me, "Just try it for two weeks." Okay. And that reminds me of what you're saying—that like you already, after two weeks, mm-hmm. you're kind of in tune with it.
1: Yeah, your body adjusts to it. Yeah.
0: And I I wonder, had I not been like vigilantly against antidepressants, Mm -hmm. if I had taken it after two weeks, she said, she said, you'll feel better. Mm -hmm. And do you think sometimes these medications are given to people just to, like, like you said, tranquilize, you know, because I came in for AD, she wanted to give me that, would that have helped?
1: Well, I know that in in terms of training, that that is taught uh, to psychiatrists that, well, butrin can have a stimulatory effect, Mm. uh, like, stimulant. um, And some people will try that instead of the stimulant. Um, There may be uh, differences. um, Obviously, there are big differences, actually, between Wellbutrin's uh, receptor profile versus, you know, Adderall, for example. But um, um, I think that in in terms of clinical training, though, she would have heard that in her clinical training, that the two somehow can do similar things um i think what you experienced in the office though is part of the problem with psychiatry in general is that there's really nothing that um other than you know what the what they get from their clinical training and uh lectures there's really not no guiding principle as to what drug is
0: the best one for the person
1: so a psychiatrist can prescribe wellbutrin if she or he feels like it at the moment you
0: know? that's what it kind of seems like yeah. where they have their favorites yeah yeah and it it it's thing about it is that there it seems to be so much intuitive which is dangerous in a way that just giving these yeah. people these powerful medications on a whim and i don't know if you ever looked at like uh dr St- what is his name david amen who does brain scans
1: um yeah Dan- uh, Daniel, Dan- Daniel, Dan- Daniel Amen. Amen. yeah, um, and he yeah, tries he to say it,
0: that that's yeah. a uh, physiological evidence of the medications and their benefit.
1: Yeah, he does prescribe still medications, um, and then he prescribes some supplements. Um, but yeah, I, I think that uh, with regard to you know the the approach that psychiatrists give, because the field of psychiatry uh, depends mostly on the psych history. So if you depend on psych history for most of the data, then it's a symptom-driven field, meaning it's whatever the symptoms show up. And if it's based upon symptoms, then you really don't know what the underlying causes are. There could be lots of different underlying causes for one symptom, and there could be the same underlying causes for multiple symptoms. So it's, it's, not, um, it's not clear what those underlying causes are if you don't know what the underlying causes are then there's no reason to expect the doctor to um have a way to tell which medication is a good fit for one patient versus another because they don't know what the underlying causes are for one person's depression versus another
0: person's right. depression because one okay. could be mm-hmm. a dormant trauma and the other yeah. could be yeah a gluten intolerance like yeah yeah that.
1: exactly Um, And people get, you know, antipsychotic medications if they have a problem with sleep, for example. They don't have to be psychotic. Mm -hmm. They just have to have, you know, problems with sleep and they might get an antipsychotic medication just just to help them sleep at night.
0: And I'm going to guess that withdrawing from that medication causes psychosis. A wild guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they're they're going
1: to be more vulnerable, let's just say. They may have a different yeah. biology, um, but they're definitely they're going to have problems with insomnia when they come, try to come off that medication, right? Because there's really no actual healing. It's just the body's dependency on something that you know changes the messenger system of the body.
0: Does it? Someone uh, I know, another holistic psychiatrist out there, had mentioned that they that the the chemical imbalances are caused by medications. Is that accurate?
1: Um, chemical imbalances are caused. Oh, well, that one the of the medications things- themselves imbalance yeah. you. Yeah, I, I think it, that you can summarize it like that. Um, I would just say that um, one thing, for example, that that is out there in terms of information about SSRIs is that within a couple of weeks your serotonin storage levels are depleted, severely depleted by the medication. So if you but don't isn't have it supposed the,
0: to conserve it by re- taking it at a regulated rate. Um, what
1: it does is it slows down the reuptake, slows down the reuptake of serotonin. Um, so it allows serotonin to bind to the nerve cell uh, that is opposing the nerve cell that released it. So you, the, there's a nerve cell that releases it, the serotonin binds to the other nerve cell, mm-hmm. and then it goes back to the original nerve cell and gets recycled back with the reuptake pumps. Um, that process of recycling back is slowed down. And so the uh, serotonin is left between the two nerve cells in the what we call the synaptic cleft for a little okay. longer. And that allows the serotonin to bind to the receptor um, a little bit more like, gives them more time to bind. But in that synaptic cleft,, uh, the serotonin neurotransmitter is um faced with a lot of digestive enzymes, let's not digestive enzymes like in the gut, but like enzymes that will clean up that space, you know, of
0: mm-hmm. debris.
1: And so with that, um that's actually one of the reasons why the breakdown of serotonin will accelerate and you're gonna have less serotonin going back into the original cell. And so, after a while, the the body can't keep up with the, um, the need for creating serotonin. So the storage levels go down.
0: And that causes? Depression. depression. Yeah. So the medication causes depression? Yes, more depression.
1: Like the mm. kind of depression I experienced uh, after five years on serotonin or the SSRIs was, I would say, you know, like 50 times worse than any kind of depression I had when I was um, put on it. So
0: yeah it sounds like you were frustrated and I was
1: frustrated and I was saying words that maybe made the psychiatrist very anxious like I I was saying I I feel suicidal all the time I don't think life is worth living you know I don't want to be here anymore um I wasn't going to act on it but I really did feel like life was nightmarish you know the kind of life that mm-hmm. a a a psychiatry resident was expected to just to do uh was was really like a nightmare i mean if yeah, you can imagine having to spend all your days in and out for like almost three years on an inpatient psych hospital in the va hospital like day in and day out it's not fun. yeah
0: and i mean yeah. you're talking about now you're you're energetic wise you're having all this trauma of war you're at the va right so these are veterans yeah a lot of them were you're veterans. receiving a lot of really painful heavy emotions and trying to manage them for other people.
1: Yeah, and I I think that, um, you know, there was that time also, remember, when I got myself off the Zoloft, but for a few years, I hadn't learned about functional medicine yet, right? So I was still prescribing medications, and I do remember at that time, even though the medications were working well for my patients and they were getting better and stuff that I didn't want to be in psychiatry at that time either. <laughs> I, um, in fact, I remember uh, being very envious of the grocery baggers. Like every time I go to the grocery store and buy groceries and I see the grocery baggers, I was like, man, I wish I would just like, I'd rather bag groceries than um, be a psychiatrist because I really hated what I was doing. And Oh. I shouldn't have because my patients were getting better and I was making a lot of money and I was doing what I was taught was supposed to be done. But I guess the desire to be a psychiatrist and stay in psychiatry was a fake medication effect by Zoloft because as soon as I got off the Zoloft, it came back again. I still didn't want to be in psychiatry.
0: Right. Like you said, the, the issue that causes the initial thing is, is still there.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So when I got into functional medicine, um, and I, you know, became holistic, a, a holistic psychiatrist. Yes, I was doing, I was still a psychiatrist. Um, but I was doing just the opposite of what psychiatrists did. And, um, and it allowed me to actually enjoy what I did. So oh, yeah. it made psychiatry uh, much more rewarding, and um, fun and fulfilling for me, even though, I, I, was working with some of the toughest patients, you know, but, yeah, um,
0: but now your, your mm-hmm. mission is to get people off medication. Is that, mm-hmm. would you say that's the, the lion's share of your work is yeah. people who are like, I'm on a medication, I'm ready to quit and they come right. to you. Or... Right.
1: And like, uh, right now I'm in a conversation with a young man, um, who uh, wants to, um, treat his OCD without medication. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's even faster. Like I can help him heal faster if he doesn't start on medication like if I oh, just so yeah yeah,
0: yeah. Be, get to the issue before mm-hmm. the secondary issue of withdrawal and stuff yeah
1: like that. I don't have to deal with withdrawals and stuff like that so yeah yeah but so great that there mm-hmm. people are
0: already akin to being like I want I know there's a problem mm-hmm. and that's that's something I think about too it's like sometimes I'm like is ADD it's like yeah no it is a thing but there's other solutions there can't be this only solution. And, and I'm curious if you, in your practice, are there times where you think medication is the way or is there is it always kind of a step backwards?
1: I think, you know, I, I do use antipsychotics if someone is really flagrantly psychotic and a danger to themselves and others. Um, but um, it's there as a temporary Band-Aid as I continue to help them, you know, heal the underlying causes. But I guess one of the important things that people need to understand is how quickly um, the holistic interventions can work. There was this one particular young young uh, girl, she was like 12 or 13 at the time, and she had two years of depression. She was suicidal. She wasn't doing well in school. She thought everybody hated her. We put her on some natural supplements. We didn't even work on the serotonin system per se. Like I didn't give her any specific nutritional supplement that increased her serotonin levels. We just increased her vitamins and minerals and, you know, essential fatty acids. And within a week, you know, she was so much better. So I think I dragged out her treatment to like four sessions and Mm. two of those four sessions towards the end, she was perfectly doing great, you know? And, and I, I knew another um, really wonderful young man who came in and he didn't want to take antipsychotics, but he was definitely kind of like having those, you know, Psychotic symptoms, you know he wasn't um I don't remember exactly it was very early uh in my tr- uh holistic journey, but he was having i think um some delusions he had tried to jump off a cliff, but he didn't hurt himself he kind of scratched his cheek a little bit
0: mm-hmm.
1: um but he didn't want to be on a antipsychotic so we put him on at the time, I just put in on him on some supplements. And again, you know, within a week or two, you know, he was like doing so much better. He felt like he said he was back to himself again. So things that you would think might take a long time actually don't take a long time. You know, what does take a long time is withdrawals. Yeah. Yeah. When people, okay, this is the thing. When people take a medication and then they withdraw from that medication, the withdrawal side effects is a very specific uh, fingerprint of that medication, you know, because that medication affects very specific receptors and neurotransmitters. And so the person, if they were to stop that medication, then those very, very specific receptors and neurotransmitters are affected. So you can't just throw like a greens formula and a mineral supplement or vitamins at the person. You have to actually work with those specific receptors and be able to make a change in those so that the person can, you know, start to feel normal again. That's, oh, yeah. yeah, that's very, very difficult um, compared to someone who comes in with the same symptoms. They can be depressed. They can even be, um, psychotic. Um, but you can use like general supplements and they will get better because they're not having those symptoms due to a very specific, um, profile caused by a medication. Which
0: yeah. All- I think the Adderall withdrawal was like bulletproof. And the only thing I could do for it was time. Really? Um, I will tell you. I I went and I got ginkgo, biloba, go to cola. I Googled everything and went to (laughs) Whole Foods and bought every supplement. And Uh I was like, you know, nothing, nothing could bring me back to that level. Okay. The secret,
1: the secret um, to those types of medications I did discover after I treated you.
0: Okay. What is it? I'm so curious.
1: (laughs) You're right. There are certain medications that are different, like, For example, with um, SSRIs, you can actually take certain supplements to build serotonin, but there are certain medications like stimulants, antipsychotics, those kind of medications where um, you have to use energy medicine.
0: Yeah. Well, when I saw you, I had already been like nine months. Yeah. So I was well, kind of the, like, I'm not struggling anymore, but I would love some tools, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, the energy medicine that I started using was specific for medication withdrawal. Mm-hmm. It was specific for um creating a lower dependency on the medication. Because what I figured out um after I after I worked with you um, was that there were certain medications where the only intervention that could really help with the withdrawal is the um, proper uh, and appropriate and timely reduction of certain receptors on the cell membrane.
0: So what does that look like in application?
1: You'd have to use energy medicine to tell your body to reduce those receptors before you lower the medication.
0: So you're talking the almighty power of intention? Yes. Yeah.
1: And energy medicine. So what I started doing was we would set intentions and we would do the energy work and we would say, you know, we're going to lower the medication by this amount, by this date, and the body Mm. would, you know, you know, uh, shift the receptors. But there's also the, um, the supplements that, that are there to actually help with the, um, the raw materials to do whatever it is that we set those intentions for. So it's actually a combination of lowering the receptors, using the supplements to help with whatever the body needs to do. And then, when the person comes back the following week, I would actually use the energy testing to see if we actually met our goals. You know, uh, had had the receptors uh, lower lowered in terms of their number and um, and and how how well have the supplements helped that person to meet those healing goals? And um, with that, I was able to really like mitigate the horrible. Um, difficult circumstances associated with things like antipsychotic withdrawal, uh, stimulants, benzodiazepines. Those are the medications. Yeah, those are are
0: the hardest are the benzos. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's because the energy medicine is key to that.
0: And I'm curious what you say, because you know I I believe in that, and I I accept the power of intention, and I allow Mm -hmm. it to happen, and I think that's how it works. Mm -hmm. But I'm curious, you know, I know a lot of people who are, you know, Mm fact-based, or that's what they would say, Mm -hmm. you know, friends of mine and things like that. When I bring up this kind of thing, and they they think it's total BS. I'm curious, you know, what's your explanation of explaining it to those kinds of people who very much sort of worship logic reason and think that there's no play like how do you when when people well are i, met to, with, you I know can what I, see yeah a lot I, of people are don't they yeah. they like they'll follow you and then as soon as you say something like that they're off you know okay
1: yeah i i totally understand that but um it's not me here's the thing <laughs> um i think that intention is um is not something that you could just like use and it will h- suddenly help people with medication withdrawal. Um, intention, uh, if you want to use it as a doctor like me uses it, um, you have to kind of know a lot more about it as a tool. And so I, I, I can see both sides. Like if someone who really doesn't know how to use intention specifically for medication withdrawal were to try to do it, they would fall on their faces and it wouldn't work. So as I'm thinking about how I work with intention, how I integrate everything together to help people get off medications, it's a lot more complicated than just setting an intention because um, intention is like paint, you know, you can be creative with it, but there's also rules and there's a physics and math behind how you can create something. And that preciseness is also important as part of the healing process. So when I when I do, um, when I integrate energy medicine and functional medicine and the energy testing and everything, there's um, there's a way for me to test to see did the intention work or did we fall short of mm-hmm. that intention, so that we're never like just setting an intention assuming that it's done what we asked it to do. And then we lower the medication without any data that said that would indicate that we've been able to achieve that goal. Um, So intention can be measured almost like uh, in in some ways in energy medicine. So you can set the intention, you can have the functional supports, you can measure it um, a week later and say, okay, let's say we set the intention to lower Haldol, uh, an antipsychotic medication by One milligram. Let's see with the testing where the person needs to be today, like this week. They may not be able to lower it by one milligram. They might be able to lower by half a milligram. And that's good. You you use the intention to the best that you can, use the supplements the best that you can, but there's a way to test and make sure that you're not just jumping ahead with a medication lowering if you haven't met. The goals. So there's a lot of different things that we have to interweave together, so that um, even if you use all the tools, uh, you don't just assume that um, an intention has done the job. You know?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, I'm interested in it, and I believe, and I know it works. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I I know a lot of people who they, they they they're not ready to go anywhere unless it's complete science or journaled medicine, I guess is what I mean, that that's sort of the...
1: Yeah, I think that just like, um, you know, just like I I would say to most conventional psychiatrists, like if they don't know how to use the tools, um, then their reality is true. Like, for example, for conventional psychiatrists, if they just lower people's medication slowly based upon guesswork, without any kind of support, either functionally or through energy medicine, and they um, tell the patients, you know, this is not safe, you're going to have withdrawal side effects and you're going to get sick again. I would say they're absolutely right because based upon their paradigm, the way the tools that they have, the way they work, I would never recommend anybody to come off medications under a conventional psychiatrist's direction. I don't think it's possible for them to really be successful most of the time.
0: So, I mean, we that's like, there's millions of people though and and imagine if all these people wanted to get off their medications, would they have to find practitioners like yourself and I don't know, but I don't yeah. think
1: the conventional psychiatrist if a, if a patient was successful, I would say that it's probably because their body has some plasticity and flexibility and did most of the work. but mm-hmm. the psychiatrists, you know, basically I think that the the regular conventional psychiatrists uh, just don't have. The understanding that they need to be able
0: to have that kind of support, that because I Mm -hmm. feel like a lot of times it's like this is a bad idea.
1: Yeah, I don't know
0: about this, and and that's the intention they're throwing in the situation.
1: And half the time they don't even know that it's the withdrawals because the withdrawals a lot of times happen about three months after the person has come off the medication already. Oh, really? So a lot of psychiatrists will say. Uh, well, the, bo- the, the medication's out of your body. Now it's been gone from your body for, you know, two or three months. So therefore it can't be due to the withdrawals uh, from the medication uh, because it's not, the medication's not there, which makes absolutely no sense. But they think that the medication withdrawal can only happen while the medication is slowly coming down on your body, not two or three months later. It's kind of like saying, Well, we injected the bacteria into your thigh last week. We didn't make any new injections, so that infection couldn't be caused Mm -hmm. by the bacteria because we injected it last week, and the infection happened two months later, you know? Right, it kind of lays in wait.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I I see that a lot. I mean, because people talk to me about withdrawing from from Adderall and all that, and it's like a flat line for a long time. They're saying, it's been eight months, and I don't feel any better. And, you know, and I know... In that mode, you know that the one thing that's going to make it stop is a return to the drug. Yeah, yeah. And it'll stop it indefinitely. I
1: think that every drug has its own um, very scientific, physically precise way in which the withdrawal has to be handled. And I think even though I've been doing this for 20 years, you know, I still uh, know that there's a lot for me to learn in terms of all of these different types of medications and how to help people get off of them
0: yeah and but, I, I think yeah. in terms so, of energy, too, they they have it. I know with mine, I almost at times anthropomorphized it into a being mm-hmm. and felt like I had to talk to it and stuff like that. <laughs> which
1: yeah, there's just there's a lot of um, different ways to address it, but I always think of the stimulants as kind of like whipping a tired horse, so mm-hmm. it's whipping the adrenals to work harder, um, even though it's, um, I think a lot of times attention and focus is a reflection of um, the stress within the body of, you know, multiple underlying causes. And then the adrenals get really tired. And if you, if the adrenals are tired and it causes attention problems, imagine how tired the adrenals are after, you know, 10 years of taking stimulants. It's like exhausted. And so yeah. how do you help the adrenals to, you know, heal?
0: Yeah. And, and I felt like I had to catch up on a lot of eating and sleeping that I was skipping and yeah. all that kind of stuff yeah exactly but let me see yes yeah, so, i mean in terms of thinking back on zoloft do you think mm-hmm. that that it that the experience taught would you would you say that i think i may, have, but you would have gone holistic without this intervention
1: if i hadn't taken the zoloft i wouldn't be a psychiatrist today i would be mm-hmm. writer i would did another you know question. doing I, something
0: else yeah you were you were studying literature
1: um well what happened was um I wanted to be a writer and I got into UC Berkeley you know from high school to because of my writing and then um my parents uh didn't uh support me going there so I ended up staying at home going to the University of Utah and I was really um my my parents had told me that I couldn't be successful basically unless I were to go to a really uh, elite college so um when they uh, basically uh, had me go to the University of Utah, I decided to abandon my writing to and just do something else. And so I chose medicine at the time because I wanted to be a psychiatrist um, and then have some interesting experiences as a psychiatrist, and then go back to my writing. That's what that was my plan at the age of seventeen. Okay. So, my
0: question, the past year or so I've really become immersed in classic literature, ok? And I'm just curious if you have a favorite piece of classic literature.
1: favorite piece of classic literature. If I did like those pieces of literature, I feel like I haven't gone back enough to really say if I would like them now. Hmm. Um, but I do remember how um, how I enjoyed two writers when I was uh, back when I was really into literature a lot, and and one was Mark Twain, and the other one was uh, Dostoevsky. So. Um, I especially like the book called Notes from the Underground.
0: Oh yeah, The Underground Man. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't and read it. And
1: there were some pieces by um, Mark Twain. I remember uh, on religion that was very funny. That I thought was really, uh, really kind of tongue in cheek. That I really liked. But uh, yeah, that that would be it. Right now, I'm exploring like writings by Joseph Campbell. You know, um, that name. He Joseph Campbell uh, has a lot of. Like he he wrote, uh, I think one of his books that really became famous was a Hero with a Thousand Faces, uh, The the Hero with a Thousand Faces. But the the work that I'm reading right now is called Reflections on Life. Um, and it's all about some of the things that um, Joseph Campbell taught at at some seminars um, to people. Um and one of the famous quotes uh, that came from those lectures is that is this one quote that says um, the privilege of a lifetime is to be yourself yeah. the privilege of a lifetime is to be yourself and i see i see that quote everywhere like um a lot of people use that quote and um, and i find that uh, he has a lot of these you know um quotable statements that kind of you know inspire me so lately i've been kind of going through his reflections on life and kind of trying to absorb it as as part of my actually um, way of living as opposed to just intellectual, you know, fodder.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a lot of when it comes to wisdom, mm-hmm. you know, that it's really easy to come by something, but integration mm-hmm. is to actually consume it and apply it is a whole different task.
1: Yeah. He said something else that was really interesting in that book. And that was, he said that uh, it's important for us to let go of what the life that we think we should live and live the life that we have, which is something that had uh, been my problem with regard to, you know, thinking that I had left my life behind when I decided to go into medicine instead of following my. Um, aspirations to be a writer. For a long time, I thought, oh, I, I took the wrong path. And um, now I'm a, you know, doctor, and I'm not happy with it. But with Joseph Campbell, I think he's he says the truth that we have to let go of this idea of the kind of life that we were supposed to have, mm-hmm. and then just embrace the life that we have now. And when we do that, um, I think he says, that we're saying really like, yes to life, we're allowing ourselves to go with the flow, to truly be alive. And he says the whole purpose of life is to experience it, whatever comes. And you know. he encourages us to experience life and really relish it, whether it's the sad parts or the happy parts. Yeah, it's,
0: it's all a blessing. And, yes, and, exactly. And, and what you're saying really reminds me of when I was withdrawing, you know, like almost when I was through the depression part, then was the anger. It's almost like the stages of grief. And I was mm. like, who... This is a huge derailment on my Mm -hmm. life because it's like now I've spent years not as myself, Mm -hmm. behaving in ways that I don't actually behave in, doing things I don't want to do, developing a career that I don't want to have, and all of this stuff. And then, but then turning that around and okay, I'll devote my life to talking about Adderall. I don't, and (laughs) well,
1: it will be that for now. And then (laughs) things will evolve and shift and change in ways you don't anticipate.
0: Yeah, well, it, it made me a decent writer. I wouldn't have really I wasn't interested in writing. And but I wanted to talk about Adderall. So mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. figured out that craft. And now it's like, okay, well, I really actually just enjoy using words. Oh, where else? <laughs> well,
1: when I was 10 years old, or 11 or 12, I don't even remember. Um, I read the book, uh, The World's Greatest Salesman by Ogmandino. And it was very inspiring for me at the time. And I remember kind of like, oh, I want to be, I want to be a writer and I want to feel this, I want to create this feeling that I'm having. This feels so good to be so inspired and like, you know, feel like you're just filled with light and everything. So, So that was why I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to create that kind of feeling in everybody else too. And, and I was thinking, you know, as a 10 or 12 year old, you have nothing to write about. There's nothing that you need to, there's nothing you can say that could really inspire other people like that. You have hmm. to go out and live your life. Oh, yeah. And I think that I took writing and I ran with it and I thought, oh, you know, it's a craft, but it's really about the message, really. And I think that from a mystical, divine, spiritual perspective, um, I have been following my, my writer heart and I have been living life and I've been experiencing life uh, in a way that it's very privileged because I get to hear everybody's th- deepest, darkest secrets, right? <laughs> yeah, you you have
0: some of the most fascinating literature before yeah. you every day, almost in yes, in these conflicts, yes. and mm-hmm. you get to play the role in those stories of mm, yeah. Fiction.
1: And so yeah, so now um, I have something that I can say, and when you have something that you want to say, then it's then it's okay to write, but you can't just yeah. say oh, I'm gonna be a great writer, I'm gonna write but then your life is so empty of experiences, you know?
0: And we look at those great writers and their lives. We want to know what Mm -hmm. kind of life led to that being what comes out of it. And there's always Mm -hmm. something there. Yeah. None of them, you know, people who I think read a lot go to school for writing, and then get out of school for writing, they probably don't write the most interesting things other than literary criticisms. Mm-hmm. I think all the best writers have, have been through it. At least, I mean, I just finished reading Moby Dick, and Herman Melville mm-hmm. was on a whaling ship. So it's oh, he mm-hmm. had to had to go there. And also, I even, even think as a reader, because they had us read The Odyssey in high school, and it was totally kind of boring Mm -hmm. and I read it this past year and it's like after going through so many trials I was like yeah I get it now Uh, yeah when
1: you said Moby Dick that was funny I was thinking of that too because I remember I was um we were divided into different reading reading groups and I was in seventh grade and they wanted us to read Moby Dick
0: you're reading Moby Dick in seventh grade Exactly,
1: they were having me read Moby Dick in seventh grade, and I thought it was so boring. (laughs) It is boring. (laughs) I mean, like, what is
0: this? Well, all the whale. whale? Well, the whale information chapters, and I know that they were put in there to (laughs) Uh to understand that most of the time these guys were sitting on a boat waiting. But even still, I feel like a seventh grader is not going to understand monomaniacal obsession. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, no. I think they think because we were fast readers that we were ready for the material. Mm-hmm. Another thing that was really interesting was my, believe it or not, my father recommended me to read. Okay, I kid you not. He He said, well, you're a good reader. Read this book. Okay. He recommended that I read Gone with the Wind when I was in fourth grade. That's so young.
0: <laughs> what, do you remember when reading I, it?
1: I did. I read it. But I returned it to the library halfway through, and then I checked it out again. And I finished it. But I was so mad at Scarlett because I thought, Scarlett is such a mean girl. I can't believe she does all these things, you know? I was in fourth grade. I'm like, you know, nine Even years that- old. I did not understand a single thing about all of that but you can read you can read the words but you don't understand life you know
0: have you mm-hmm. read um just one more haven't mm-hmm. have you read don quixote
1: no i haven't okay yeah i, Tell me. Past- yeah. I yeah. just loved it i thought it you was you loved great. it okay yeah what did, what did you like about it
0: i liked that don quixote is a character is just so interesting and i i personally identified with him because he um he mm-hmm. believes in oh, i'm sorry he believes mm-hmm. in himself so much and no one else like does and he's mm-hmm. goes on these adventures and he's foolish but noble mm-hmm. and that just makes for such um a great character as someone no. who keeps trying mm-hmm. despite getting battered by the world no. and who's well read but acts poorly oh. it reminded me of a lot of my missteps no. <laughs> I, I identified with it but because mm-hmm. he he's, mm-hmm. uh, you'd have to read it, I don't know. But it's very good in knowing that too, Cervantes had written 30 plays mm-hmm. and none of them went to stage and his life was, he himself had been trying and trying and trying to mm-hmm. no avail, but he wrote this masterful piece that's considered the first novel ever.
1: Well, talking about books does remind me of one of my uh, favorite books. And you did ask about one of my favorite books. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, It's a very thin book. It's actually uh, J- Jonathan Livingston Siegel. Have you ever read Jonathan Livingston Seagull? Jonathan Livingston Seagull was a thin book and it's a allegory of life. And it's about the seagull who wanted to be, um, wanted to fly in a way that was well beyond the skills of most seagulls. And he was ostracized because he wanted to practice his flight
0: experience Mm
1: -hmm. and um, was kind of kicked out of the seagull group. And In time, because he he worked so hard at flying, he was able to get, like, really amazing, like, delicacies from the ocean because he knew how to dive into the water and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, you just have to kind of read about it. And I feel like sometimes that I could relate to Jonathan Livingston Siegel because the things that I do um, makes me feel estranged. I am estranged from my group as a psychiatrist. I This past year, I was able to successfully uh, publish um, uh, in an international journal article, uh, an article on uh, helping someone, it was a case history on helping someone get off of uh, six psychiatric medications in a year without any, um, with all side effects or relapse and And I was like, to me, that's like a Jonathan Livingston Siegel thing where it's so out of the ordinary that people Mm -hmm. just don't believe that it's possible. Um, So I kind of reach a certain point in my integrative psychiatry experience where I know a lot and I can do a lot, but it's also, it's a very lonely life, you know, where you can, you can work at a skill and keep honing it and honing it until you're really good at it. And you can really help a lot of people, but then the next step is like, how can you share it with other people? That was the Jonathan Livingston seagull thing at the end of the book was that he wanted to share everything with other people, Wow, other wow.
0: seagulls so that that reminds me too of uh-huh. like the old man in the sea, but it sounds like a little bit better, oh, because <laughs> he the same. That uh-huh. old man went out further to get uh-huh. the bigger fish, which has uh-huh. a bigger risk, I guess
1: ah. Yeah, that was, yeah, I read that book too early when I was a kid too. And I didn't really appreciate the allegory of it as much as I would have had yeah. I read it, you know, when I was older. I I think that's one of the, I guess, um, problems with being a fast reader when I was younger is that I would push myself and read these books. But I didn't have the life experiences to truly understand, you know, the depth of the of the material. I yeah. could read the words, but... I couldn't really grasp the integrate. Yeah, the the meaning of it in a really deep way. Yeah, I've been Um, enjoying that a lot. Another
0: Mm -hmm. thing I wrote down, just another book that you remind me Mm -hmm. of that I haven't read but was recommended Mm -hmm. the other day. Mm -hmm. Someone, it's called Convenience Store Clerk, and I think Convenience
1: Store Clerk. That's a title of the book.
0: Yeah. Okay. And I think it's a Japanese, and it was written about a because you were talking about how you were jealous of the grocery bagger and it's a, it's from the perspective of this woman who works in a convenience store mm-hmm. and people keep telling her she should do more with her life and she talks about the contentment. Oh. And I was like, oh, that reminds me this so was just You know, we have, be, it, so we have to be we
1: have to be um uh, you know, careful what we wish for because there was one day um, in my holistic psychiatry journey uh, when I realized that I I, I was a grocery bagger. I had, be- <laughs> I had become the grocery bagger. Well, what happened was um, in my holistic psychiatry journey, I was I kept a lot of supplements in these. Cl- in the closets in my office. Mm-hmm. And at the end, you know, I would recommend a certain number of supplements and then I'd grab a shopping bag and I would put the, the supplements in the bag. So <laughs> I literally was a grocery bagger for them at the end of the session.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it's it's a little different, I think. I, yeah, I was doing it though. I realized, <laughs> yep, yeah, I'm doing grocery bagging right now. <laughs> yeah, it, it all comes back to that. Yeah, a whatever we set
1: too. an intention for us, it just shows up.
0: Yeah, And I, I think about that, in this, mm-hmm. making videos, because I, mm-hmm. I went to school for film, and I was really good at it on Adderall. And then when mm. I stopped, I stopped. And now here I am using those skills again to try to move this along and make videos again.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's going to it's gonna be a real um, valuable skill for sure, that it's it's going to be intuitive for you, you know, to be able to do this.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'll figure it wonderful. out. That's wonderful.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I think you did a great job with your book, too, like— I think it's your, it must be some of your training coming through because you just went ahead and you had the editor and you got it published and had it written. So, whatever you did, I think it was well informed.
0: Thank you. Yeah. And thank yeah. you for writing the forward.
1: You're welcome. I think uh, the editing was great for that forward.
0: Yeah. All of it. it yeah. I mm-hmm. got really lucky with somebody who came out of the mm-hmm. woodwork and helped me because I, yeah, yeah I was an online forums and I was struggling with an editing situation and someone read my post and said well that seems well written enough um mm-hmm. and I just want to help you so it's actually someone looking to lift their career as an editor yeah in New Zealand
1: in New Zealand wow yeah. that's one country I really want to visit
0: yeah it sounds beautiful and yeah. it sounds like a paradise
1: yeah well um when I have all of those chapters down, I will be visiting you again and asking you for some names.
0: Yeah, I would love to recommend her.
1: Okay, wonderful. So
0: you're, you're putting down, can you talk is your book? Is it about holistic psychiatry?
1: I would say it's about holistic psychiatry, but in a way that's very uh, layman oriented, like it's not gonna be like, you know, it's, it's not, not for... gonna be boring, it's not gonna be boring, but it's gonna be full of stories, stories of my experiences.
0: Wow. Do you have a title for it?
1: <laughs> yes, but if I share it with you, I might change it later. So just okay. like you changed yours later. So we probably should just keep that title a secret for now.
0: Okay. I'm yeah. really excited to to read it <laughs> when it's <out. laughs> Yeah.
1: Well, I've, I've been writing different versions of this book for a very, very long time. And I think uh, part of it is finding a way to convey exactly what it is that I want to share and uh, becoming the kind of person that is a good match for that message. So I think I'm at that point.
0: Excellent. Mm -hmm. Congratulations.
1: Well, yeah, I just have to do it. I think uh, I've been writing all my life in the sense that ever since I was uh, 12, I would uh, journal. Mm -hmm. So I I would journal several pages um, quite regularly. I, I wouldn't say every day, but at least you know a few times a week so um so yeah, me, over the course of yeah over the course of my life i've written tons of things it's just a matter of deciding how to write it you know
0: yeah and to actually it, it's a different i remember I'd, I'd written my book five or six times before i really started honing it and i realized that's like okay how do i actually make this for someone else because mm-hmm. because so much of my writing is journal based mm-hmm. and like Julia Cameron's pages was a big yeah. part of my writing yeah. process. And I was like, how yeah. do I make it so it's not just my own psycho babble and like actually something that other people are ready to to receive?
1: I think that's very central. I think that's very central because I think a lot of times we write to de-stress, we write for our own benefit, we write to vent, um, but we're not really writing for other people most of the time. And so... To be able to put yourself uh, in someone else's shoes and care enough about the other person to do it for them, that's a whole different job, I think. And I think it's very tempting when you're writing to indulge in writing something that's kind of, it feels good for, like for myself, you know, when I'm writing. But if you really turn the tables around, is it really helpful for that person, that other person reading it? No, It, it would just that would be the litmus test that it would fail. Like it wouldn't be that helpful to the other person. It would be kind of me venting to someone on the phone. Does that help the other person? No. So Mm -hmm. I think when you say, you know, learning how to write so that it's totally unselfish and, and you're doing it, even though it takes up so much time and you're doing it for someone else. Wow. That's, that's truly writing, I think.
0: Yeah, you're. I, I realize that um, you're like a guest in their brain. Mm. You're because they're they're gonna be recounting your voice in their mind.
1: Wow, I love that. Yeah, a guest think, in their brain.
0: Wow. I think I picked it up from Stephen King's On Writing, which is a great memoir about writing. But like oh, at that point,
1: I have his book. Okay.
0: Yeah, I don't care about any other of his books, but that one's very good.
1: Okay. Okay. On, I but, have it in my Kindle right now. So. Yeah,
0: because it it really is like you're a guest. You're you're when you are reading someone's book, you're letting that writer take the space of inner dialogue. Mm. It's very intimate. Yeah. So I sort of coming there with reverence and, you know.
1: Wow. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think so much of my life writing has been more about a me kind of experience, even though I try really hard to think of it as something I'm contributing to society about. Mm-hmm. But like, um, I think you, ha- you have to kind of like uh, in order to truly write something that is inspiring for other and help- helpful for others, it really has to be uh, an experience of uh, love and you know, one has to feel enough. Like it's kind of like going into that relationship and if you never feel like you're enough and you're using that relationship to aggrandize yourself or make yourself better, it's not a really good relationship. But if you go into that relationship, and you've reached a point in your life where you feel that you're enough and you're bringing everything you of yourself and your heart to that relationship then you can develop a beautiful relationship with that person and you can do that with your writing too and i think that that's mm-hmm. that's what i've been waiting for
0: well, it sounds like you're getting there <laughs> that was beautiful i mean to really think of it as a almost relationship between a reader and a writer
1: yeah well last year one of my poems ended up being performed on stage in dc <laughs>
0: Oh, that's cool.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that was great. And uh, so my writing is starting to um yeah, to to be more than just, you know, me writing on my website or something.
0: <laughs> yeah. I need to do that too. I, I work backwards. Yeah. So well, how it. do you do that? Well, I started with the whole book and now I'm like, how do I write a blog? Oh! So it's like <laughs> going I I, I abandoned I, the only thing I would do is write the book. So for so long, I wouldn't do Uh, social media. I didn't do anything. I just worked on the books. uh, Now I'm kind of scrambling to make the surrounding infrastructure.
1: Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting because I just find it so much easier to write short pieces, you know, and throw it out there. You can do it in an hour sometimes, but I find writing a book to be rather uh it it demands a lot of perseverance and discipline from me that i i hadn't i just kind of like would start and then stop you know so i think it's great that you were able to just do the big project and in fact uh, one of my uh, mentors said that when you write a book you automatically become the expert in that area
0: that's where the word authority comes from author really what's well, word where author comes from oh okay cuz it's it's half of authority
1: wow
0: and yeah. someone told me that because I was talking to them and I was, you know, saying because I'm a layman, because I'm not a psychiatrist or anything like that. I was like, well, I have no authority. Mm-hmm. like, well, yes, you do, because you wrote mm-hmm. a book on it. So therefore, you're the author.
1: I see. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think that the book is the ultimate um, hurdle. If you really want to be an authority on the figure, on any topic, like I, I could like publish these little uh, journal articles and stuff and. Have it published and peer reviewed, but until I write a book, that authority is not going to be there. So Mm. I got to get going. I think. Yeah. Yeah. For my own. I'm on
0: the other end now. I have to kind of establish internet rapport. I don't know something like Uh this. But I think also the tendency, and maybe this is part of my ADD, is I feel like it would be easier for me to like train for a marathon than run a mile a day. Like Mm. I get, I get when something's really challenging. I'm like, okay, gentle things that I oh, I really yeah. have to work hard on that it's I think it would be harder for me to be a grocery store clerk huh. than it okay. would be for me to I get be, it yeah
1: yeah it's like the endorphins or something that motivating the motivating factor has to be really motivating
0: but thank you and, oh, and thanks for yeah. sitting and talking with me about all this
1: yeah you're welcome it's been really fun and it's been uh, I think very very helpful for me personally to be able to talk about these these issues
0: yeah and and my hope is that somebody uh, who's struggling, I guess with Zoloft perhaps finds mm-hmm. finds this,
1: yeah, yeah. I hope that people won't take quite as long to reach an understanding of medication withdrawal as I did because it took a long time for me to actually get to a place where I realized it was withdrawal,
0: yeah, so, I yeah. think it's a i mean that's that's why we know each other,
1: yeah. Well, thank you so much, Russell. I really appreciate the time that you uh, gave for creating this podcast and inviting me to be on.
0: No problem. Thank you.